Hey guys, thanks for stopping by the podcast today. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, tell a friend about it. Right now, the podcast is growing, and we're excited. We've done recent episodes on Kanye. <laughs> Sorry, you said the podcast was growing, and I just had to give you a look. I didn't. I didn't know we were just allowed to lie on air. Uh, you know, whenever somebody <laughs> listens to this, that may or may not be true. That's kind of a Schrodinger's box um, of you know things to say. Plus, if you were really committed, you could always take that out. I would never know until I listen back to this. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for stopping by. Today, Adam has got a fun walk through Reddit for us. Adam, take it away. Uh, this week, we're farmers. We've decided to, to give up a life of music theory and we've become farmers. That's right. We are now content farming. Uh, we figure the internet has lots of good ideas of things to talk about, and so we should turn to the most reputable music theory uh, resource available online, and that is, of course, r slash music theory, the subreddit for music theory. Uh, so I just, I, I wanted, I, uh, maybe this will be a recurring segment, we don't know yet, we don't know how it's going to turn out, but I thought maybe we could just look at some of like, the top posts of the month and just see what sort of interesting discussions or questions people were asking or having there. And we could either try to answer the questions for the people who aren't going to hear it, or uh, just comment on the discussions, right? And so, uh, real, you know, if, nope, hmm, okay. I had like half a joke constructed in my head, but it was already too complicated and then I didn't know how to pull it together. <laughs> hey, already um, too complicated is our degrees. Look at us go. <laughs> it was something, something low-hanging fruit. So that's what we're doing today. Um, all right. First up, here's one I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, the title is, Anyone with perfect pitch listen to Michael Jackson's music? It's not A440 and as a result, affecting my pitch recognition. And the post goes on to say that since the quarantine started, they got really into MJ, and they have absolute pitch, but then realized, listening to Michael Jackson, that all of his albums, except for one, are not tuned in standard 440 uh, tuning, and that they started listening to Michael Jackson so much that, I quote, I'm realizing that listening to his work this much has actually messed up my perfect pitch. Now I hear any F-sharp in my brain identifies it as G. Uh, for those here with perfect pitch, how do you listen to Michael Jackson without messing up your valuable pitch, pitch recognition? This is driving me insane. What do you guys think, uh, what do you guys think about that? Do either of you have perfect pitch? No, um, I, I have decent relative pitch. So that mm -hmm. if I know where Doe is, I can figure that out, but then I also have it... Um, voice-wise, I know that the lowest notes I can sing are around F-sharp and G. And so if I just try to sing whatever the lowest note I have right now is and then sing a perfect fourth up, I kind of know where G and C are about. And then from there, I can take a good guess at about a lot of things. Livy, do you have perfect pitch? I have no sense of pitch. <laughs> at all? It's as good as it has to be to be a theorist. Uh, no, I do have a sense of pitch, but no, I am as far I was say, as but you're not you even a percussionist from having perfect pitch as a theorist. Uh -huh. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this question could not be less relevant to me. Oh, are either of you guys really big Michael Jackson fans? I do I like mean, some MJ, like not yeah. all of his stuff, but the select songs that I like, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. This has never crossed my mind. It's never been on my radar. Not even a little bit, though. Yeah, so um, funny enough, there's um, on YouTube, there's a group called Drumio where they have a whole bunch of different uh, drum set videos on how to groove, rudiments, other things like that. And so I found a video on there the other day with a professional playing the drum set tracks to different Michael Jackson songs and kind of as a fun Friday and Thursday afternoon, let my kids watch it. And that way they could see like, Oh, here are other cool things you could do on the drum set other than bass tap, snare tap. And for those of you that don't know, a 440 is just the standard tuning yeah. frequency that they use for a above middle C or a four. 
but I, think I guess it's interesting to find like an artist that like doesn't tune to 440. I guess I just like would have assumed it was there. But um, I guess does it does it matter? And is it well, matters on... to this person? They have perfect pitch, and now it's getting messed up. Oh yeah, but then so I was talking about this in a lesson the other day because a kid was playing on the piano and he was confused as to why the snare drum vibrates when he's playing the piano and i was like oh the tuning's close enough that like generally on e or e flat that the snare drum starts to vibrate because it's tuned to somewhere in there and then i also showed him if he holds down the pedal and i play a note really loudly on a piano that's near it that the strings will vibrate on the grand or acoustic piano Mm -hmm. yeah I do that in piano lessons when I want to show kids like what the what the pedal does and why the pedal doesn't just isn't just a replacement for playing legato, but it also like opens up all the different frequencies, like the the damper pedal. And I'll hold the pedal down and then just like clap, and even just clapping will resonate all the strings. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I get. I don't know the the whole why we picked uh 440 as the frequency that is just like that's a that's what we're rolling with i guess because of course everyone knows that 432 is the is the resonance of the universe and that scientists have tried to damage the human uh, race by by elevating it to 440 i mean is that what is that a who has said that have i been missing out on a whole world of music conspiracy theories Uh, you guys don't know about that well, I knew... We might um, just have to talk about this now. I don't. Pivot, personally. pivot, pivot. I knew 432 was the <laughs> I've other I've just been missing pitch. out, I guess. All right, so... I haven't. I did not realize that. So, for whatever reason... Oh, man. I should find one of the visualizations <laughs> and then screen share it, which I said we weren't going to screen share because then the podcast people can't see it, see it but... I, I don't know what to tell you. But okay, the so here's, here's we're about the... to go on. Adam is so committed that I am sure he will put a link in the podcast oh, description yeah. for yeah. you guys to follow along with us. Okay. This is supposedly a visualization of what sound looks like at four thir- when it's tuned to 432 instead of 444. That's hertz. That means vibrations a second, right? And so the idea is that the natural frequencies make this really nice circle shape with like mm-hmm. a n- neatly ordered peaks and, and spires and things like this on the visualization. Very structured. Right, where 440 looks like just a big mess with this visualization. Um, and so mm-hmm. the idea is that, uh, quote from this meme I just pulled up, music has hidden powers to affect our health, minds, mental thoughts, and even consciousness. But that perfect natural harmonic tune was purposely removed and replaced with an imbalanced tune. The end result may be the psychic poisoning of mass mind of humanity. Uh, and so they think that the reason that people get sick or that we have war, you know, the two problems with humans, uh, is it all started in 1955 when the International Standardization Organization, um, which if, if that's the actual name, I don't know, that's just the name and the meme. That doesn't sound right to me. Um, decided that the the tuning should be to 440 hertz. And so what happens is when people who don't understand frequency, when you play them next to each other, when you play the 432 second, because it is slightly lower, it sounds just like a little bit warmer. And so then people who don't know about frequency or, or the differences between them would listen to it and be like, oh, that, that does feel way better. But you could do the same thing if you started on like, 438 and went down to 430 or you started on 540 and dropped down to 520 you get the same the same feeling or if you go the opposite direction well then 440 is just gonna sound brighter rather than 432 sounding warmer Mm -hmm. Um, so no that's a thing that's a thing that comes up a lot so what you're saying is next time somebody needs Mm. to serenade their you know spouse partner whatever that if you're playing guitar you should tune it a little high get started and then like 10 seconds into it be like oh whoa, 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 i think i'm a little sharp and just uh-huh. flatten everything well i was gonna say if you don't serenade your your future <laughs> significant other in 432 you're uh, destined to get a divorce i think is how 
how it works. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I did always play really bad guitar for Sarah, so I mean that counts for something, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, it is the international standardization, or it's the international organization for standardization. They just got the words mixed up. Whoa, hold up, that's four thirty-five. Weren't we just talking about four thirty-two? What was that? Oh, that's the eighteen sixties. Okay, never mind. Yeah, so I mean. Uh, yeah, that was in the 1860s. Like the French decided it was 435, and everybody kind of settled on that because for a long time every country had their own different ones, which is another reason why it super doesn't matter. Although technically both world wars were before we standardized, so maybe maybe the reason we had those world wars is because everybody tuned to different frequencies, and therefore the, our our world was not harmonious. Um, anyway, I think in, I think the this, the committee decided on 439, but that's like prime or something and so scientists were like yo can you make it a little bit easier to replicate in the lab like let's make this like chop it in two easy uh so they bumped it up one notch to 440 and then so we got that so is this just really you wanted to go back and talk about uh dolores i don't remember her last name and feel kind of bad about it uh dolores caterino the <laughs> uh, microtonal composer yeah because i mean wasn't this one of her um no she things. wasn't into 432 that wasn't that wasn't one of her things. She was into just larger octaves. But are you telling me that with her fancy setup, she couldn't play a note? By the way, was... if if you guys don't know who we're talking about, there's a there's a microtonalist composer and performer named Dolores Caterino. You can find her stuff on YouTube or on uh ooh, what's the name of that website? Bandcamp, where she sells some of her music. It might be other places. I bought it on Bandcamp uh, because that gives more money to the artists, and I support that. <clears throat> I'm very good. Um, <laughs> um, but we talked about her in the f- yeah. Uh, we talked about her in the first ever episode of the podcast where we talked about microtonal music. Um, I don't recommend going back and listening to it, but that is the context for what we're talking about. Keep going, Seth. No, I guess I guess that was it. Was just I'm sure she could slide to. Like well, there, she might have had a note that was pitched at 4:32, but uh, she wasn't. She wasn't all about changing the the. The frequency she was changing about the division of the octave, right? Okay, interesting, interesting um, things. So any, apparently, Michael Jackson also believed that four thirty two was better. No, I'm don't don't put those words in his mouth. There, are, sadly, there are no comments on this post uh, on music theory. So, do we think we can help this person at all, or not really? Well, I don't know. Is there a way to stop Michael Jackson's uh, infectiously good tunes from destroying this this person's sense of perfect pitch? He could go onto that Google Chrome extension and transpose all his music up when he streams it. Yeah, he said he specifically says that and put it in back in post. at four forty. Well, he says that he he brings his phone in the car to stream on the way to work, and so that it sounds work. like he's not willing to put the work in. Wow. All right. Well, I guess we really. I guess Livy has decided we can't help this person. I was going to keep an open mind, but I mean, you could always just tell them like <laughs> Michael Jackson's music is just more in tune with nature. Your perfect pitch is not. I, I guess so. Now that's a, that's a better question. Is is it really perfect pitch if you're hearing it not at the universe's frequency? Like, is it really perfect? Isn't that what I was saying that got us here? I mean, I'm so turned around <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's like it's like when people say the keys have different moods. It's like, mm, all right, sure. Ooh, we could start people who have perfect pitch, but at um, 4:32, we start calling it natural pitch. Mm, I like yeah. that. I like that. We can start calling it like it's actually kind of catchy. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we start making it like a societal thing. You know, like yeah, the Germans, you know, they they use perfect pitch. <laughs> I'm on that. I just got a great. I'm going to teach two sight singing classes, and I'm only going to tune one to 432, and I'm going to tune the other one to 440, and see what happens. That'd be a great music. That'd be a great project. All right, here's a here's another post. Uh, here's another post brought to you. I think this was not in the top of the month. It was just one of the ones I thought was interesting. Uh, all right, how do musicians read? Oh man, this is a lot of <laughs> this is a lot of caps and question marks. So I got to read this appropriately. How do musicians read notes and play at the same time? I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm not 
I want to clear, I'm not making fun. That's just how they wrote it. A lot of all caps and a lot of yeah. question marks. Uh, I just memorized the entire passage. How do you guys think, what, do, what, uh, what would you say to this person? What do musicians do to read notes and play at the same time? I think that that person doesn't associate, uh, I mean, it should be that simple. I think this person isn't associating the visual with a muscle memory, which is something we talked about on our last debate how if you write in letter names you're adding in an extra step right and to me that question sounds like someone who has to see a visual translate it to a letter translate that to a muscle memory which yeah would make it really difficult to do that oh and you see somebody but once you translate straight from visual to the muscle memory it there's no delay yeah and that's what kids are really bad at too like so many of the kids that i teach Mm mm-hmm We'll just memorize it and then just play it over again with tons of mistakes. And they're like, no, that's not what it says to do. And then they'll fix one mistake and keep playing it with the rest of the mistakes. Well, it's like, you don't have to guess. It just says right there. Look, at, I told you I told you how to read this. Just read what it says. Well, and I told a kid uh, yesterday morning because he kept making the same mistake. And I was like, hey, it doesn't matter if you crash it at 30 miles an hour or 60 miles an hour. And he was like, yeah, because you'd be going slower. I'm like, no, because you still crashed either way. You should go fix the thing that you're doing <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I get, okay. I didn't know that there was a third option of not crashing. I definitely <laughs> would rather crash at 30. Well, that's what he was doing. He was just, okay, <laughs> let me play it, and then let me play it super fast. And I was like, hey, that thing that was wrong was still wrong. <laughs> What's the, anyway, um... Yeah, that's that's pretty much what somebody in the comments said. Is that when you read words, you don't read the whole word. We recognize the patterns and the shape of the words. Um, and the original poster said, "Thanks, this almost made sense." So, <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> now, I will say that, and I think Livy was maybe getting towards it a little bit. There, there's kind of a when you're performing music, I think you get away from reading notes and you're reading shapes more than you are that you know you know oh that's the scale or oh that's this arpeggio right yeah and you're not going okay that's an a a c sharp and an e okay you can do this Seth. Mm -hmm. one of our professors told me a story that he played at uh what is it called what is it called when you uh, like a workshop i guess when you get like good musicians to play for band kids and like show them what to do like a symposium or a workshop yeah, like I guess model, modeling. No, like like an event. Like you go for a weekend and you play like all weekend at something. Like a conference, a master class. I don't know. Honor band conference. Something like that. Workshop. Yeah, it was like a workshop or an honor band thing. It really doesn't matter. However, was... you want to market market it. Yeah, but he said that he was playing some music with the with the section that he was working with, and that it had a passage that went E or D E F sharp G A B D flat D. And the middle schoolers that he was playing with mm -hmm. could just play it every single time. And they, like, never, they just got it immediately, and they just played the notes that it said on the page. But he found it incredibly frustrating, because he realized that it was just a D major scale, but with a D flat instead of a D sharp. And because he was so familiar with the pattern of the D major scale, is that it was throwing him off to have the wrong inharmonic note placed in that scale mm. instead mm -hmm. his point was that ultimately it is better to recognize the patterns but that also means that when you compose and arrange music you have to pay attention and follow those patterns yeah like his, his point wasn't that it was better to be worse at reading music <laughs> but that's the way that it sounded <laughs> at the time because this is when i was trying to teach uh my students like the correct way to stem and beam things together for our like our our aural melodic dictations and they were getting mad at me about the way they were having to write things or tie notes together and stuff. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's just, this is right. I was like, well, it just looks ugly and you would read it in the wrong meter. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't know. This, the stem going up or down, I think I'm sort of more flexible than if it's on the middle line. It could yeah, go it was less about stems. It was mostly that. about ties and beams. Yeah, the beams I get because I like seeing the meter. But mm -hmm. yeah, and that's what I just had a bunch of whatever. I had a bunch of percussionists in that class who would always argue with me. And I was like, have you ever seen anything written like this? And they'd be like, yes. Like, well, I genuinely well, don't know wrong. what kind of music you're using. Like, I'm sorry. I, well, <laughs> either I, you guys are wild or 
something I don't know about. Well, with that, there is um, percussion music. You can get a lot further down, like past 16th notes, and you could even have the 16th with like a roll on it. And so Mm -hmm. there are some pretty crazy, okay, what rhythm am I playing here? Um, I can't think of one of the examples that that was giving them trouble. Yeah, because I think I remember what you're talking about, and I would agree that... You're you're right and they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. That <laughs> combined with um if they have a drumline person on their band staff that, you know, was writing out some drum parts for them, they may not have necessarily written it in the most like standard, easiest to read notation. They may have just okay, we got like eight eighth notes and they're all tied together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or beam together, I would be guess would be the correct way to say that. All right, here's a fun one. What does this chord become if I play D F A sharp instead of D F A, where this is in D minor? I mean, I don't. You're just writing a chord incorrectly. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Hey, but it's a major six. It has the same notes as A sharp major, though. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they. It think sure that does. A sharp, <laughs> that A sharp major is a thing. You know that A sharp major so common in any key at all besides B major or. Oh man! Uh, ever since that. I looked D at D minor, the, very present. They deleted a lot of their comments from when I looked at it the other day. Oh, no. <laughs> like they were shamed by the Reddit community. Uh, no, they were kind of a jerk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people very nicely <clears throat> answered and told them the right thing and said it's a B, ma- B flat major triad in first inversion mm-hmm. um, don't spell it as an A sharp there's not an A sharp in this key right and then they explain you know chords are stacked in thirds and so these are the reasons why we spell things the way that we do and they kind of made fun of they insulted the people <laughs> who gave them the correct answers and then made fun of all of music theory and called it tedious and a waste of time. And it's like, you're in the music theory subreddit. What are you doing? But they deleted all those. <laughs> you didn't so they come must... here for answers, I guess. Yeah, but they deleted all of them. So I guess they got shamed into into being a little bit nicer. Uh, but there you go. Um, I mean, that that does, in a nutshell, sum up music theory Reddit of you can ask a question and some people could be super nice. But then somebody could also be, I don't know, a little toxic. I don't think I've seen it overboard, but... No, and this is, yeah, this is better than other places I've seen. Yeah. Here's one from a few hours ago. I uh, Let's see, I don't know what we can do with this one. How do you study a piece without only analyzing it? Maybe a bit of a weird question, but how do you study a piece and understand its characteristics, its significant moments, only from the score? I mean, formal analysis is rather easy and dry, but I want to be ex- able to explain, at least to myself, why certain progressions are where they are, what in them invokes a certain feeling, what's special about it. Should I just study more pieces, get accustomed to more rules so I understand when a composer breaks them? What do you guys think? How do you only, how do you understand a piece if all you do is a score analysis of it? What are the advantages of this? What does he mean without only analyzing it? I think... That confuses me. I think the title is because isn't written. he asking about analyzing? Yeah, I think the, yeah. I don't get the title. I think the title is just confusing. So I let me try to sum up again. Okay. How do you understand a, a score? The How do you understand a piece sense. just by looking at the score? Um, I, I mean, I think it goes back to the um reading notes question that we did a couple minutes ago, where. Okay, if you haven't made the connection from that to something else, then it doesn't do you any good. Um, And I think it's the same professor, but Adam didn't tell us, but I'm pretty sure I know which professor he was talking about earlier. He gave me the, um, if an alien came down to Earth, it wouldn't know what a strawberry tastes like unless you feed them a strawberry and keep telling them this is a strawberry. You know, that if there's a progression that you think has like a sad quality or a happy quality or a get hype quality, whatever it may be. 
you just kind of have to figure out what that chord progression is and then maybe when you see it come back again somewhere else if it's the same then you can start to associate it with that but otherwise it is hard to figure out the way that i interpret is the part of the question where he says um how do you figure out what invokes a certain feeling and what's special about it that's kind of in my opinion the point of music theory um there's nothing objective about what feelings something invokes and what makes it special so it's about what you're hearing and you have to use music theory to identify whether it's the harmony the melody the rhythm the timbre x y or z that is standing out to you and like that's what music theory is for in some ways so there's not going to be like an objective set of rules yeah and i think part of the problem is that he doesn't include any listening in his question or they don't they don't include any (laughs) listening in, in their question they are talking about only looking at the score and while you can get a lot out of the score, it's kind of silly to just only look at the score. You have to listen to it as well. I've been doing some analysis. I, you know, I do that tutoring for our university. And it's very, it's not, it's not a ton, but lately they've been asking me questions about analysis because they've finally gotten into, some of the sophomore students have gotten into where they're looking at an entire piece of music and doing a Roman numeral analysis of it. Sometimes they get into spots where it's kind of ambiguous. And just the way we're doing it, just over like a Zoom call, it's not the best way to do it. But I just always have to remind them, you have to listen to it. If you don't know what this is, or you don't know, like it could be this or it could be this, you have to go listen to it. It depends on the context. It depends on how quickly the harmonies are changing. Like what sort of the, the <clears throat> oh, what is that called? Like the metrical, like how fast chords change. Yeah. Harmonic and, rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to listen for the harmonic rhythm. Um, so I was thinking like hypermeter, like metrical something. Um, yeah. And you have to listen to it. And so like, there was one example, it's like, well, this could either be a passing tone or it could be like a three, six chord. Now we should go listen to it. If we actually hear a three, six chord used for the first time ever in a piece of classical music, that's an exaggeration. Um, (laughs) then we can write down a three. But if we hear it, it's just a passing tone. Then we have to write down a passing tone. But it's it's all about listening. And so you can get really far with analyzing a score. In fact, you the ability to analyze a score only on paper only becomes really useful once you know what it's going to sound like. If you can hear it in your head, then you can do it on the paper. But that comes after all the listening that you do to learn how it sounds. I've got a weird question that's mm-hmm. kind of related to this whole... I guess almost music cognition kind of like you have to listen to it and make your decision for how you're hearing something. I was thinking about um, bitonality yesterday and Mm -hmm. the question that I kind of ended up with, it should we analyze it as two separate keys that we're hearing at the same time or when we're talking about it is it, that you're hearing the um, the coming together of those two sounds to create this new sound that's, I guess, more like of a harmonic sound that you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. It was it was just kind of odd to me. And then when I thought about it, I, it was like I guess you could, depending on the piece, you could make a case for both, um, like hypothetically if you had an orchestral piece and the brass were playing in one key you could make the case that like okay maybe you could follow the brass section and say okay i'm definitely hearing like that tonality over there but then if the strings are doing something else you could theoretically be processing both at the same time but what do you guys think about that or is that just a weird thing uh I really don't know. I think that that for me is one of those things that it really comes down to listening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me. Like I, by tonality is something that I'm so unfamiliar with that like I've got to hear anything. If that's a discussion, I'm like, I need to hear it before I have like literally any opinion on it, you know? Right. Cause I, I, I feel like I've listened to like one piece that was supposed to be bitonal like ever. So I can't even remember how I heard it. And like what the mm-hmm. alternative would be? You talking about the Bartok microcosmos? Probably. Yes, I am. That <laughs> one piece that we did in twentieth century. Yep. 
That's the everybody's one. favorite. Everybody's favorite bitonal piece. And it was written for children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what. Um, man, yes. I don't the the place that I teach at. We like to be more contemporary and like with more of like a pop and air training focus and stuff like that. Um, I was gonna say, but if I if I went music like Bartok was well, contemporary, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, man, I should just like start a kid at the beginning of Microcosmos and just go all the way through it. That would be awesome. I'd, I'd like to. I almost the other day I almost ordered some scores of it, but I don't have anybody who wants to play it. I don't need to learn how to play it from the easy part of the beginning, but the ending part's too hard for me, so I don't know. <laughs> just because <laughs> it's got like six volumes and they go up, so just anyway. that that one new kid that you know nobody's ever going to check in on really hammer down on the like this is how we do things around here. <laughs> if you don't want to do this, then you can leave. <laughs> just convince them that like. That, yep, I guess this is the piano curriculum that they teach around here. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't do that. Um, <laughs> oh, the, the other thing I was going to say about identifying bitonality is that it probably comes down a lot to, uh, like, instrument group or the, the timbre of the voices as well. Um, because That's I think if you're going to hear them, if you're going to hear them as unified, then you need to find a way to talk about it in a unified way. If you're going to hear them as being very distinct from each other, then it's probably a lot easier to call something bitonal. Yeah. Like if I, you have if you have two clarinets playing in two different keys, well it's still just going to sound like two clarinets. But if I have a clarinet and a violin playing in two different keys, it's basically two different songs on top of each other. Yeah, especially cuz clarinets have this the clarinets have the same range. That reminds me of when people will describe Copland's works as polytonal. And it's not that I disagree with it every time. I just know that there have been, um, you know, one or two songs of Copeland's that I listened to that people analyzed as being polytonal. And at least in some moments, all I heard it was just a big extended chord because he had stacked consonant chords on top of each other, like an A major and an E major. Mm -hmm. And so to my ear, it was like, well, that's just like a 13th or 15th chord, you know? And where it goes from there could turn it into more polytonal, but they'll be like, see, it's two keys. And I'm like, I don't hear it that way. Um, and a lot of the time it did come down to the timbres that he was using in those specific instances, at least. Yeah, I think that's a good way to bring it, like answer that question because there was um, a Schumann piece, not by the 1800s Schumann, but by, oh, what was his name i think it was william but i don't remember but anyways the Are you talking about three score set no no no, no. um because oh, i love that there's a piece i think it's the george washington bridge that's written for mm-hmm. band um and it was i'm pretty sure it's schumann i'm gonna feel bad if it's not but oh well anyways this there's a whole section where it is that um kind of what livy's getting into of it could just be extended chords where because i think it was c major against g major and so it wasn't out of this world what you were listening to but then i'm also thinking about ives is the revival where he's um taking the theme of um font of every blessing or nettleton and he's um transpositioned like this little theme in the piano part, uh, tritone part. Although I guess you wouldn't necessarily hear two things starting as a tritone part as like, oh, those might accidentally go together. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too, that you do have to have a little bit of a, hey, it's a weird extended chord versus... You know, if something's a tritone apart, I can kind of follow like, oh, there it started in this key, and here it starts again in this key. There was a piece for my thesis that I looked at that had a bit that was, um, oh, here, I can share this too. Aha, uh-huh, look at that. Uh, it had a bit that was for flute and clarinet. Well, it was harp, up. flute, and clarinet. Did you have this pulled up or? Yeah, I just pulled it up just now. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, no, I meant like, yeah, I just, you know. When I open my computer, I like to open up my thesis material. Just no, this is the first time I've looked at it in over a year. It almost made me throw <laughs> up once I found the file, but I, I found it. Um, no, but it, it's originally for flute and clarinet, and the, the 
both parts are like written in essentially the same range. But I've heard recordings of it where they play it um, with two clarinets instead of a flute and a clarinet. And then the parts are even overlapping with each other, where like one will go up and one will come down and they'll cross over each other. They're playing in the exact same range. And so with the two clarinets, then you can't even tell which voice line is which, which to me sort of defeats like the whole purpose of the song. Like, well, then just like stack them on top of each other. Like, I don't know. It just didn't, that didn't make very much sense to me. But playing them separately with the flute and the clarinet because of the timbral differences, you could follow which line belonged to which. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot more interesting. Um, also, it was really, it's it's 12 tone and it sounds like garbage. And so I don't really know <laughs> if it mattered. If, <laughs> like, neither of the lines sounded good. <laughs> it's like one had five notes and one had seven notes. It ended up to 12. <laughs> well, okay, so with that, I guess the my question would be, do you think it would matter if you had two bad clarinets playing? Um, because sure. a cl- well, I'm just saying a clarinet <laughs> player that hasn't really mastered, okay, here's what the low register sounds like, here's what the you know, these throat mm-hmm. tones the mm-hmm. middle register sounds like, and here's what the altissimo or the upper octave sounds like. You know, if they if they're an advanced player and it all sounds really smooth and the tone quality is consistent throughout, yeah, it may be harder to tell. But if you have a really bad clarinet player and clearly sure. there are three different registers, maybe sure. that would have helped. Maybe it would have. Um, I don't think I, I don't remember if I told the story in the podcast before, but when I was working on my thesis, I was working at this daycare. Have I, did I tell the story on the show before? About I listening to this during nap time. But again, the podcast is growing, Adam. Like, it's true. we've got a new listener. All these new this listeners is... haven't heard the story yet. <laughs> so I was working at this daycare, and I was working in like the the class that was like younger than kindergarten, so like four or five year olds. And it was nap time. We had lunch, and they were all going down for a nap. And it was going to be like two hours that I was sitting in like this just dark room um not dark but just like the lights were off all the kids were asleep and we'd play like a little bit of light music just for the kids to to relax and and fall asleep to uh but i'm working on my thesis and i'm losing my mind because i'm running out of time to finish the thesis and i gotta get stuff done so if i'm just gonna sit in a room and not do anything for two hours well i should probably get some work done so I started bringing my scores to work, and I got as far as I could just looking at this, you know, 12-tone Stravinsky piece. I got as far as I could without listening to it. I figure out my rows. I figure out the parts. I understood the form of the song, but I got to the point I just needed to hear it, which is what we <laughs> talked about earlier. Um, because I just, it's a very, very strange piece, and I think that uh, there's a lot of sort of like... I didn't even really get into timbral stuff in my thesis, but I think that's a big part of the song um, because of the way it is written and the voices and the registers and all that. Anyway, um, so I just need to listen to it. So a couple, once or twice, I swapped out the lullaby CD that they had in the classroom, and I plugged in my phone and just put a little, a little of Stravinsky's epitaphium. Just I just laid that down <laughs> in the classroom. <laughs> After all the kids had fallen asleep and just, uh, you know, real low. It, it's a, it's an extremely quiet piece. It's an extremely uh, uh, peaceful piece, except that it is 12-tone for flute and clarinet. <laughs> um, and one of the four-year-olds sat up, and he said, Mr. Adam. I said, yeah. And I walked over to him, and he said, this music's really scary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And so I had to stop listening to 12-tone Stravinsky during nap time at the daycare. <laughs> one time I put on music for 18 musicians, and one of the teachers walked through and said, oh, man, this must be perfect. I would fall asleep to this. <laughs> <laughs> They're not wrong. So, anyway, that was my uh, epitaphium story. Seth, you mentioned tritones, and this is a perfect 10-minute late uh, uh, segue. It's my favorite um, kind of segue. Mm-hmm. A ten minute late segue. It means the I tour mean, went you, really badly. Well, I was gonna say, have you ever gone to the tour and you're just disappointed because they already have them ready to go? Mm-hmm. That's me all the you know. Yeah. Just I expect to stand in line, cross my arms, tap my foot a good bit, and then ten minutes later, ready to roll. I need those ten minutes to get ready for <laughs> for my Paul Blart cosplay. To emotionally prepare myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, let's see. Well, maybe one more, one or two more posts. Here's another Reddit for you. 
this was posted eight days ago and it got a silver award, which I don't know what that means. Um, I think it went platinum. <laughs> yeah, they got a record. <laughs> Is it bad to use tritones in songs? I've been trying to use tritones in my music work and I have been criticized for it. Um, in the 1500s, it was awful. Right. Sacrilegious, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Did they burn anyone at the stake for using tritones or? Um, they burned the record, so we can't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we learn something in music history about tritones? Like, was that. Uh, was it I'm going to say yes, the guy that to you be safe. About recently. <laughs> you did chromaticism. I don't know if you did tritones. Oh, we talked about uh, Giswaldo. Oh, speaking of chromaticism, did you guys see the Mm -hmm. Jeopardy question? I did, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people were talking about that one. (laughs) That was bad. Uh, Hold on, let me find it. Now we set it on air. I don't want to cut it out. Uh, But while he's doing that, if anybody out there is, you know, got music theory questions. Oh, that was from last year. Wow. Oh, well then. Aaron Rodgers wasn't leading that question. Uh no no he wasn't <laughs> wasn't this is a a classic Trebek um but anyways if somebody's interested in music theory fundamentals and some other things and you wanted an online resource and don't really want to ask um, public forums that may or may not go well for you there's a website called Open Music Theory um, and if you Google that it'll pop up but it's an online textbook that some music theorists have put together over the past couple of years and they've got a lot of things including um, a section on pop schema so they talk about all the different little harmonic progressions that we see come up a lot in different styles of music whether it's um, like R&B or rock or metal or just guess like poppy maroon five taylor swift stuff so it's a good right, resource awesome if that's what you and want. this is going to inspire a new a new uh format for us we should do a jeopardy episode at some point okay All right, this was a new episode this was this came out friday april 23rd and so i guess it was was it aaron Rodgers? it didn't say who was in charge no but it really say. anyway uh okay but one of the categories was music scales so we should just do all of them uh, wait, does it have the answers? Oh, okay, there. <laughs> uh, all right, you ready? We're going to yep. play Jeopardy. You guys can mm-hmm. uh, can guess. Uh, the diatonic scale is widely used in classical music. This composer employed it in the finale of his 1824 Ninth Symphony. I, I'm going to go, um, who was Beethoven? That is correct, $200. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> These two big, uh, big as in quotes, and little, little as in quotes, these two big and little types of scale give contrasting happy and sad feelings to compositions. What? Big and oh, little? I guess I could, I guess I could just screen share again. Hang on. You big and these little. These two big and little types, types of, scale of scale give contrasting happy and sad feelings oh, to compositions. Oh, What sure. is major and minor? That is correct. I mean, that is... Because like big and little. Major and minor minor. scales. That's a horrible question. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) It it gets worse. We're not on the one that people complain about yet. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, For $600, musical scales are used to divide these intervals between similar notes with different frequencies. From Latin for eighth. Mm -hmm. What is octave? That is correct. Read that question again. Musical scales are used to divide these intervals between similar notes with different frequencies from oh. Latin for eighth. Okay. Okay. For I don't know why, but... Kimberly answered, uh, what is an octet? And she did not get it right. Dan got it. <sighs> octet. What is a what? How? What did she, she say? Said, she said, what is an octet? Oh, no. And was deducted $600. Oh, $600 so close. That. Yep. All right. For $800... This five-note scale pops up pretty much everywhere in Western popular music. What is pentatonic? <laughs> that is correct. I forgot that we were buzzing in. <laughs> you didn't buzz the first one, but it's okay. Uh, all right, and finally, this is the one that... <laughs> this one might be cheating, Seth, because 
you already know the you already know the clue for this one. But yeah, the thousand just... dollar question, the 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 last the last or final final answer in in the musical scales category. There's a half step between every two notes in this colorful scale pioneered by Arnold Schoenberg. Oh, and it I plays. Mean, are they talking about the octatonic scale? Is that what they're talking about? Oh no. <laughs> are they talking about like? The oh, there's word. a link. It, it supposedly played music, I guess, but the the, the link doesn't work. There's that. There's an MP4 connected to it, but it I don't didn't. know what they're getting at. There's a half step between every two notes in this colorful scale pioneered by Arnold Schoenberg. It, if if pioneered is like the part half, you're... like two half steps between every note is the whole tone scale. That's incorrect. What? Like, what are they talking about? No, no, no. That like they mean between. Is there a real answer that I'm missing? Yeah, between note zero and note one, there's a half step. Between note one and note two, there's a half step. That's what they're saying. And I think then, the key word here is colorful, but we don't what? use this word in a way that means colorful in music, although it does. Semi-chromatic? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> oh, you know, no. Everyone's favorite scale that Arnold Schoenberg <laughs> invented in 1935, the chromatic scale. Everything about that question is, there's three layers of bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the word chromatic does mean colorful, so... Well, my so mind that. went to colorful, but it. Well, I'm, and my mind went to chromatic when they said, like, colorful. And then when they were like Schoenberg, I was like, oh, well, chromaticism, but what? <laughs> Did anyone get it? No, it was a triple stumper. <laughs> Shocked. Yeah. And that's what uh, one of the, the one of the like musicologists that I follow on on Twitter posted, like a music theory music music uh, musicologist guy. That's her Music theory and cognition. Sorry, it was Who's Bryn Hughes. These? Bryn Hughes posted that on on Twitter and got a lot of people talking. Yep. Uh, and most people that's were funny. also equally horrified. <laughs> They're like, "Wait, what on <laughs> earth? That's awful." They should apologize to those contestants. <laughs> Um, I think somebody made a joke about our microtonal keyboard. Keep bringing it back to our microtonal episode. <laughs> somebody quote replied to his tweet and said, there's between three and four differently sized steps between every two notes in this totally insane <laughs> keyboard pioneered by Niccolo Vincentio in 1550. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there you go. Um... No, that we got really off topic on that. That might have been the best part of the episode, but we were off topic. Um, the but question was, great. is it bad to use tritones in songs? Yes. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Libby is opposed to a functional harmony, Case I guess. Closed. Wow. Well, hey, it no didn't say a functional no tritone. Chords, uh, no It just said tritones. Dominant sevenths. The top, the top comment uh, says, terrible, they'll put you in music jail. Mm-hmm. It's just top response. That also was yep. paid. somebody also paid money to award that on Reddit. <laughs> it was me. Did they go into more details to like what they meant? Nope, that's all there is to it. And I don't, I don't see any comments OPs. from them. Don't that's use funny. chords either. That's just from experience. Leaving it open and. <laughs> <ended. laughs> um, I bet you use parallel fifths too, Rep Scallion. Tritones at the best interval. Fight me! Wow. Wow. Hmm. Uh, worked fine for Jimi Hendrix in Purple Haze. Got him. <laughs> Who are you sharing your music with? The Pope? <laughs> <laughs> He's a strict Palestrina guy. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Tritones bad. I don't think we can help that person. He is wrong. And he has committed <laughs> crimes against music. <laughs> There's nothing to be done. No. Um, all right, Adam, you got any, you got one more good one in you, or I think that's in? I think that's about it. I think that's all that I, I saw that was worth talking about today. There's probably other other good things here. Um, oh, here's one that, that kind of goes with our last episode. When would you use four four and eight eight in uh, as a time signature? Eight eight is dumb. All I know is that a half note gets two beats. <laughs> yeah, which is true. <laughs> and one of those, it's true, I, I Adam. Which one is it true? I don't know why you would use eight eight. 
<laughs> I don't either. So no, um, that's, that's that's pretty much all I got. Uh, we might you see now. I might on. save. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So my question on the eight eight: If you were going to, I should cons- go back to it then. Well, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. Go go ahead. But if you were going to write a piece, or the piece was emphasizing like two triplets and then straight eights on the end, so thinking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Would you rather write? But that would be six eight. No, I wouldn't. Because there's eight eighth notes in there. Well, a triplet is the same as a quarter note, right? That's how I was thinking of the rhythm you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I was saying it. Oh, or did you mean straight eighths? But you were grouping them in threes. Right. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. You would place the accent on like one, four, and seven. Exactly As if it's like a beat, a, a bar of six eight, and then a bar of. That's exactly what the four. top comment says. I usually use eight That's eight, valid. and the beat isn't a one two three four. Eight eight works well for beats that have two compound beats and a simple beat. Like one. But and what's weird is that's like a mixed a meter, even though it doesn't look like one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's two compound beats and then a simple beat. That's like where when you say eight eight, my plus, mind goes to just like a six stupid plus two, simple. Eight. Is that how you would write it? Like six plus two eight? Yeah, I like that better. I like that a lot better. Yeah. I mean, because that's I mean, what it is. It's a mixed meter. It's not yeah. eight beats in the measure and every beat is a eighth note. So it's misleading, I think, to write that as eight eight. It should be six plus two, like you said, Adam. Yeah. Or at least, you know. So they're wrong <laughs> into Reddit jail. Got them. Um, so, anyway, I think that's all I got. Um, we might we might do another Reddit recap eventually. No, uh, I, I I need to find out if we can actually find good stuff on there. I might I might have to just browse for a bit and like save up some good ones. That might be how we do it instead of having like a regularly recurring segment. It might just be when I find a good batch. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. I thought that yeah. there was some good conversation that came out of it. But kind of like you're saying, we may have not found the best stuff. We may not have found um, remembered it. So we would if, love for you to join the Discord and send us your favorite stuff on r slash music theory. Please. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, we're excited to talk to you guys, talk to you in the Discord, and we will see you next time.